Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And uh, as we're transitioning here, uh, feel free to open your Bibles or, of course, there in your uh, bulletin, Luke 22, 1 through 23. A reminder, too, uh, so we're not having our fellowship meal today. We're going to do that next Sunday. Um, So we're starting our our winter Sunday school class uh, today. Uh, so next week, uh, first Sunday, second Sunday feast will be, uh, will be next week. Uh, we're continuing our time in Luke, uh, and then next week we'll, we'll get back and we'll, we'll get into an Advent series. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of do this because for obvious reasons of what we're doing this morning. So um, before Jesus is denied... And before Jesus is deserted by his closest friends, before Jesus has a full-blown panic attack in the garden, um, he will be uh, mocked uh, before he is going to be shamed, before he's going to die a cursed death on the cross. Um, Before all that happens, Jesus just wants to get away and spend one last time with his friends. You ever want to do that? You got something big before you, and you just want to kind of get get away with your friends. Um, one final moment before the storm hits. And what he did at this final meeting changed everything, like everything. And so with that, uh, let's hear what Jesus said uh, to his disciples and then to us today. This is God's Word, Luke 22, 1 through 23. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was, who was of the number of the twelve. And Judas went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of a crowd. Well, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And Jesus said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went, and they found it just as Jesus told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, 
is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is God's word. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this morning and this uh, opportunity where we set aside from the rest of the week uh, to sit under what is truly good and beautiful, uh, your word. Holy Spirit, come. Uh, and may this next little bit, may this not be a TED Talk. May this not be something that we just kind of like check out of. By your Spirit, draw us in. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. So, um, if you're familiar with the Lord's Supper, like most uh, people who have at least been around the church a little bit are, it'd be pretty easy just to skip over this, <laughs> this passage. Uh, but what if I told you that apart from the resurrection... This may be the single biggest thing Jesus ever did. Because during this time in, in the ancient Near East, you, look, you didn't have to be a Hebrew, a, a Jew, to know that you, look, you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, you don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess with Passover. So this, <laughs> this week I asked a couple of our members, uh, what were some of their family traditions that, that no one in their family, like it's understood, you don't mess with that, right? You just don't mess with that. And um, <laughs> with only one exception, and that's Watson Pillow's tradition handed down from his father of not quitting, uh, pillows don't quit. Um, with, with, with that exception, almost all other traditions that I got were related to food. It's all, <laughs> all about food. Uh, Evelyn Ray's family, uh, they, they try to replicate her mother's chocolate fudge pie. Uh, Danielle Morgan said growing up, every Easter they made deviled eggs, but they refused to call it deviled eggs uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, they're stuffed eggs, right? Uh, Vicki Patrick said you don't touch the Thanksgiving menu. You just don't, don't change that. Uh, Stevie Pillow, uh, many of you know, Stevie Pillow cooks Christmas lunch for her family, and, and like you don't miss it. You just don't miss that. Well, like, like those, uh, the Passover meal was set up in a very particular way, very particular way, and, and you didn't change it. You know, our Jewish friends called the Passover meal the, the Seder meal, and Seder just means order, that there is a way we do things around here. Uh, I, I tell you, ancient Hebrews would have made excellent, excellent Presbyterians, right? We just do things a certain way. Um, Things were eaten in a certain order so as to tell the story of God's rescue of his people uh, out of Egypt. And, and what's more is God commanded it, okay? Well, anyway, it, it had been the same, right? Same meal, same stuff for centuries. That is until this, what we just read. Uh, one day Jesus showed up and Jesus claimed to be the true and better Passover, and by the way, don't you love the attention Jesus gave to making sure he even had this opportunity to tell his disciples this? I mean, he'd already, you know, he'd prearranged a, a meeting place uh, because, you know, he, he told Jesus, he told, I'm sorry, Peter and John to go into the city, look for a man who's carrying a water jar. He will take you to an upper room, you know, prepare the Passover meal there. And I mean, it's such a weird detail, right? Why note that? Um, you know, we read it and we ask, like, why all the secrecy, Jesus? 
But back then, of course, we've read why Jesus was being secret, right? Uh, back then, uh, apparently women in this culture, uh, women only carried, or, or water jars were only carried by women. Uh, men didn't carry water jars in the ancient Near East. And so this would be something like Jesus saying, hey, look, I want you to go to the Grove, and I want you to find the Mississippi State fan there. Uh, you'll know you found the Mississippi State fan when you see the one with the cowbell. Okay? Go to the person with the cowbell, and they will take you to the tailgate. Well, when Jesus, he, he's so secretive because he knows that Judas's plan is already in play. And if Judas knows where they're going to eat the Passover, then he's going he's to give that up. So Jesus goes to great lengths to ensure that he has this time where he can huddle the team up one last time, pass the bread around, raise the cup, and say, hey, y'all, if you miss this, you miss everything. Guys, like, I, I can't be any clearer, any simpler than this. The rescue that all of this points to is me. I am the rescuer. You know, because we're not ancient Hebrews, uh, Jesus' words don't quite pop for us like they would have its original hearers. And so we need to go back to the beginning, right, to kind of unpack what, what th this whole thing about Passover. And so kids, um, we've got kids here. Hey, kids, I'm going to ask you all a question in just a second, okay? So put the masterpiece aside that you're working on on your bulletin, okay? Um, hang in there. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Hopefully you'll answer. All right. Y'all remember, so God's people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, right? And, and God raised up a man named Moses and, and, and told Moses to go and say, let my people go. And, and kids, what did Pharaoh say? No. They said, yeah, no, no. But what's better is, is we have a God that doesn't let his people go either, right? And so what did God do after Pharaoh said no? What did God do? Yeah, okay, so he sent plagues, right? These plagues, escalating plagues, and these plagues were aimed at really taking down various Egyptian gods, uh, showing these, 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 but they were false gods, and it climaxed in the final plague, which was the death of the firstborn son, right? However, in the midst of this plague of death, God made a way of salvation, Right? And so in the book of Exodus, we find that on the 10th, and, and uh, Rob read it this morning, on the 10th day of the month, so today is December 3rd, so imagine in seven days, um, you didn't go pick out a tree for your house, uh, your home, you went and picked out a lamb. Your whole family went and got a lamb. And, and so get this, not a cute puppy, <laughs> uh, not even a cute kitten for you cat people, uh, but that lamb came and stayed in your home for four days. And if you have kids, I mean, we know what that means, right? If you have an animal in your house for longer than like 10 seconds. Um, and I, look, I think I've shared this before. So Sophie had a betta fish one time. Uh, and, and the betta fish lasted two days in our house. That, that's how long the aquarium phase lasted for us. Two days. Uh, Annie, I, I, what did we say? Annie sent it, sent it to the farm or something, sent it to be with his friends. Or, I can't remember what we said, but like, uh, but you know, two days. And that fish, like we still talk about that fish almost on a weekly basis, almost. Like we, we still mourn that fish. Okay. What, what that means four days is plenty of time to grow really attached to lamb chops, right? 
You know, lamb chops has eaten with the family, slept in home with the family, has eaten, has, uh, the, the kids have fallen in love with lamb chops and they want to keep them as a pet. We love lamb chops. Well, the Bible tells us that the traditional Passover meal uh, was unleavened bread, okay, that's pretty important, uh, bitter herbs, uh, stewed fruits, uh, greens, and then a roasted lamb, which isn't great news for lamb chops, right? I mean, so can you imagine the kids asking, Mom, Dad, where's lamb chops? I mean, you know, it sounds so inhumane, like you're eating the family pet, um, and, and yet, exactly, okay, that's the point of this, this ludicrously wild celebration. The Passover lamb had come into their home, the lamb had come into their lives, lived with them, breathed their, the same air they breathed, and then was slaughtered in their place as a substitute. And so the people, if you know in Exodus, the people who, who put lamb chops blood on the doorpost, those who were under the blood of the lamb were passed over. And that event led to the freedom of God's people. Okay? All right, so well, every year after that, Passover was celebrated, uh, joyously commemorating the miraculous deliverance of, of God. And every Passover meal was exactly the same. You didn't change it. When the food was brought in, the youngest child, the youngest person there at the table would always ask the same question. Why do we eat this bread, or why do we eat this food on this day? And the father or the head of the household would recount the story of the Exodus, and they would sing a psalm together. The whole family would sing a psalm, all the while passing around cups of wine. That, you know, they had four total cups was involved with the Passover meal, and they had two cups before they even ate. You know, verse 17 notes that Jesus had already passed around some wine. And then to begin the meal, the head of the household would take some unleavened bread and lift the bread up so that everybody could see it. And he would say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come, everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. Those exact words. And the father would, would then give thanks for the meal and he would uh, break a piece off of the unleavened bread, pass it around so that everyone else could get a little bite. And what's more is, over time, the unleavened bread began to symbolize sinless bread. And it's, it's, it's here we begin to see the beauty of Jesus. At this point, instead of Jesus standing and you know, taking the bread and saying, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in Egypt, he broke the bread. And as Paul said, or Paul records, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Like, what an invitation. Like, this is me. In other words, he's saying he is the sinless one who came to give his perfect life for you. Now, Jesus is saying, whoever hungers, come to me. Whoever is needy, come. Whoever is restless, come. I am the one you need. I am life itself. And then near the end of the meal, there was a third cup called the cup of redemption, which was passed around. But instead of Jesus saying, this is the cup of redemption, drink of it. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus knew that when knew that was why he came, right? That he came to give us rescue from our true slavery, our slavery to sin, to, to make a way uh, for the wrath of God to pass over us. And he also knew that true forgiveness always costs. Like to forgive someone, someone always, something always has to die. And so just as the people were delivered from death by the blood of the lamb, just as year after year uh, Israel sacrificed lamb after lamb to cleanse you know, people from their sins, Jesus in this moment is saying, lamb chops blood and all the other lambs blood point to my blood. So Jesus rescues us by being our Passover lamb. And so like at the Passover, you know, the, the lamb was the centerpiece of the whole meal, kind of like, you know, Thanksgiving. It's the turkey, right? It's all about the turkey. Um, it's here that we see Jesus is taking that on himself because all the prophecies are really pointing us to this one point. Remember, y'all, literally, what was the first thing John the Baptist said about Jesus? He, he said, behold the what? Lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then in Revelation... John describes Jesus as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And the elders fell down before the lamb and sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I love this. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of what we experience every single day. It's what we know. That all the blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for us. That there's not enough sacrifices and good deeds in the world to earn, to earn, to make us right with God. So there's only one sacrifice. Like there is like only one powerful enough to cleanse us. And Jesus is saying, saying, instead of seeking shelter under some sacrifice we make, seek shelter under the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross. Because on only then can you be forgiven. Only then can you be free. Okay? And then he used the word, this Bible word, covenant. Um, he says his blood that is poured out makes way for a new covenant. In other words, a new relationship that, that God's people can have with God. Y'all may remember J.I. Packer said, the highest privilege the gospel offers is adoption. Adoption. Which means, if you're in Christ, like God doesn't merely call you clean. No, he calls you his. And he takes you into his family. And, and here's why Jesus' words about the covenant are, are more beautiful than you can imagine. It's because if we're honest, we, we all have a little bit of, um, well, we don't believe that. If we actually believe that, then our lives will look remarkably different, Right? Um, we, are, we have orphan tendencies, and, and I think I've, we've used this before, this illustration. But do you remember uh, Orphan Annie? you remember under Miss Hannigan's oppressive care, what did they say? It was a hard knock life, right? They, they saying, don't it feel like the wind is always howling? Don't it seem like there's never any light? Once a day, don't you want to throw the towel in? It's easier than putting up a fight. I mean, look, when we see and feel the darkness, it's very tempting to just want to give up, doesn't it? Well, that is, unless you're Watson Pillow, right? You don't give up if you're a pillow. 
But for everybody else, it's not a pillow. Like, you know, you feel like you want to quit. Um, they sing empty belly life, rotten smelly life, full of sorrow life, no tomorrow life. I know this sounds so politically incorrect, but like that is your life apart from Christ. And on your more sober days, you know it. Um, but as you know from the show, one, lady, uh, one day a lady from the orphanage or, uh, showed up at the orphanage, a lady named Grace, right? Grace Farrell, the secretary of billionaire <laughs> Oliver Warbucks. And she took Annie from the orphanage to Daddy Warbucks' huge estate. And when they arrived, Grace asked Annie, well, what would you like to do first? And Annie said, how about the floors? And like, like Annie wasn't brought there to mop the floors, right? Annie was brought there to enjoy Grace. But in that moment, her orphan mindset was so strong that she couldn't imagine anything else. All she could imagine was the kind of servanthood that, that Miss Hannigan required. Do more. Try harder. You are not enough. All right. So often, we can be like that, can't we? I know I, I'm paid to think about this, and, and, I think about, and I do this all the time. We believe that Jesus saved us. We believe Jesus saved us by his grace. He's plucked us out of darkness, but our orphan tendencies can be so strong that we think that it's, it's up to us to maintain that salvation. For, it's up to us to stay adopted. And, and so we have to earn God's affection. And, and, and please hear me. Like, I, I hear this all the time from Christians, like, like in Greenwood, Christians. Well, Jesus saved me, but now it's my turn. It's the Diamond Rio song. It's, it's God, I'm going to start walking your way, and God, you start walking mine. And, and if we do this together, we can meet in the middle. And, and, and that's exactly why this language of covenant is so staggering. You know, a covenant, it's, it's a, an agreement that's sealed in blood by two parties. You would make an agreement, um, have this thing, you would uh, take some form of livestock, cut it up, cut it in half, walk between the pieces, holding hands, so as to say, hey, if I don't do my part of this bargain, then may it be to me as it is to this bull. But what's staggering is if you remember all the way back in God's, to God's covenant with Abraham, when it came time for the walk through the bloody pieces bit, um, Abraham was put to sleep like a deep sleep. Um, and God alone walked through the pieces, establishing what theologians call a unilateral covenant. Like, look, you're not going to hear this in any other religion, okay? Which meant that God would be the one to keep both sides of the agreement. He would not only walk your way, but he would come to you take you, put, him on his, put you on his shoulder, and carry you back to himself um, all the way. And so here in the upper room, Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I've come to do. Instead of us being torn in two for our sins, Jesus would be the one torn. He would be the one to die so our adoption could be sealed, guaranteed. And so... From now on, when, you know, and we're about to have it here in just a second, but when you hear the words of institution, when you hear, this is the new covenant in my blood, I hope that word pops, the covenant. I hope, I hope they hit your heavy souls, give you rest, 
knowing that in Christ alone, you are not only forgiven, but you're safe and sound in the rescuer. Okay? Which then brings us to our, our very quickly second takeaway, restoration. You know, when, when you read this in Luke's account, in the Matthew's account, uh, something's not quite right. Because Jesus had gone out of his way, to, it, everything set up perfect to eat the Passover meal. And then when it came time to end it, something happened. You know, there was always four cups involved in Passover. And Jesus is perfect, so he's going to do the four. But when it came time for him to drink the fourth cup, he didn't. Um, in the upper room, according to Matthew, Jesus said, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so here's what that means. That means that the Last Supper and every Lord's Supper we ever celebrate on this earth is an unfinished meal. It means Jesus didn't finish his last meal because he wants to finish it with guess who? With you. Do y'all have anything at home that's like special? It's kind of sacred to your family, like you, or a nice beverage, a nice meal that you don't bring it out for just anybody. Like you save it. You're saving it for when the whole family gets there. Jesus wants you to be there to finish this meal. Will you be there? And on that day when we drink in true restoration in the heavenly kingdom, as Revelation says, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will pass away, and we will hear our rescuer, our restorer say, Behold, I am making all things new. Westminster, that's what Jesus came and died to give you. And if you are in him, that's not only your present today, but that's your beautiful future. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this immense reminder of what this, the Lord's table means. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, the bread, uh, for the cup. Uh, for this just being a, a daily reminder that you rescued us, uh, you are in the process of restoring us, and one day we will fully be restored. Uh, but until that day comes, may we rest in you. Uh, Father, may this reality go deep, plant it deep in our souls. And Lord, we ask that you would take these common everyday elements and that you would set them apart to be a means of your grace to your people this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.